was the Stanley Cup. Come on. It got pretty wild. People were throwing me beers. I want a day with the Cup. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. Welcome to episode 31 of Island Ice. I hope you and your family and all your loved ones, friends, hope everyone is doing well, holding up okay uh, as we continue to uh, have life halted through this uh, COVID-19 outbreak. Hopefully, you know, things will start uh, returning to some sort of sense of normalcy or a new normalcy soon enough. It's good to talk to you again. Episode 31 of Island Ice. A little bit of a, uh, a different format today, and I hope you're going to enjoy this. I, I know me and uh, Mark LaMonica back in uh, at Shea LaMonica have had fun trying to put this one together. Like I said, a little bit of a different format. No current events today. We're not going to discuss how the NHL may or may not be able to get back on the ice and all the hurdles there. We're going to leave all the real world problems behind for just a little bit of time. And we're going to go back 40 years. And as you know, Newsday uh, over the past month or so has been doing an ongoing series on the 40th anniversary of the New York Islanders first Stanley Cup win in 1980 uh, as they wound up defeating the Philadelphia Flyers in six games with game six, the uh, the famous Bobby Nystrom overtime goal for the 5-4 win over the Flyers at the uh, Rockin' Coliseum. That was on May 24th, 1980, coming up on 40 years exactly. But what we're going to focus on today in this podcast is the Islanders' first cup parade. Obviously, they wound up having four of those things as they won four straight cups from 1980 to 83. But we're going to be talking about the first cup parade, and that was on Wednesday, May 28th, 1980. And imagine, if you will, I'm sitting in a studio with Dennis Potvin, Brian Trottier, Clark Gillies, Bobby Nystrom, and Chico Resch, all members of that first cup uh, team. And um, obviously, I, I spoke to them separately over the course of a couple of weeks. And, and, and part of the enjoyment I've gotten out of doing uh, stories on the 40th anniversary has been reconnecting with some of these alumni. And, and they've been so gracious of their time and, and told some wonderful stories about a myriad of different subjects. We're just going to focus on the parade today and uh, I'm going to play you some clips from those five players, Denny Pontfan, Brian Tridier, Clark Gillies, Bobby Nystrom, and Chico Resch, just talking about the circumstances around the parade. And we'll we'll get to that pretty shortly. Um, but a as a setup, what I'd like to do is uh, just take you back to the Newsday edition for May 29th, 1980. That's the day after the parade. The front page of that Newsday on, on Thursday, May 29th, 1980. And, and the headline was, It's Their Island. And the picture is just of this mass jubilation you see the Stanley Cup, you, 
you, you see, uh, you know, the Stanley Cup in an antique car, and you just see people going wild with, with Islander banners and, and just enjoying the moment. It's their island. Uh, the Islanders certainly, you know, captured the, the spirit and the hearts of, of, of the community they played in. They were a member uh, they were all members of the community, and uh, you know it, it was a very unique parade. As you'll hear some of the players talk about, it was it was unlike other parades. You know, uh, in Manhattan you have the, the the Canyon of Heroes and the ticker tape parades through Lower Manhattan. This was not that. This was a, a uniquely Long Island celebration. And uh, what what how I'd like to lead into this is I'm I'm just going to read you some excerpts from the Newsday lead story on that, uh, on the on the parade. Uh, co-bylines by Kathleen Kerr and Richard C. Firstman. And the headline is, Jubilant Islanders on Parade. About 30,000 attend March to Coliseum for Stanley Cup team. And it starts, Mitchell Field. They returned to the scene of their team's stunning triumph four days earlier, filling the evening air with confetti and jubilant cheers. An estimated 30,000 hockey fans and Long Island chauvinists lined the roads of Mitchell Field last night, celebrating the New York Islanders' Stanley Cup victory, some toasting the team with bottles of beer that they shared with their heroes. As the Islanders rode toward the Nassau Coliseum in shiny antique cars, the crowd hailed, loudly and finally, Long Island's victory. This is Long Island, and we're number one. We're number one, one fan shouted, caught up in the mania of the moment. It was Long Island's first parade celebrating a professional sports championship. The politicians were there, but this was clearly a love affair between the hockey players and their fans. As the huge crowd gathered in the Coliseum's parking lot after the mile-long parade, Nassau County Executive Francis Purcell tried to speak, but the screaming crowd drowned him out with cheers, their index fingers raised, signaling number one. Team members ignoring Purcell joined the crowd in cheers. At one point, the crowd broke past a line of police officers and pressed so hard against a metal railing set up in front of the stage that eight persons had to be given medical assistance, including two who were taken to the hospital and given oxygen. The ceremonies outside the Coliseum culminated a two-hour event that some continued into the night by honking automobile horns and going to local bars as they did after the team's victory on Saturday. The parade started around 7 p.m. with the Islanders riding with their wives and children, acknowledging the cheers of the crowd, although goalie Bill Smith had threatened earlier not to get into his car when told there might not be room for his wife. Bobby and Michelle Nystrom, the popular player in his East Meadow-bred wife, rode in a vintage yellow Ford, smiling the way the astronauts and their wives used to on Fifth Avenue after triumphs in space. I've never been in a parade, Nystrom said. This is great. As the procession moved toward the Coliseum, some fans wearing Islander shirts and buttons and carrying Penance and homemade signs rushed up to the cars, offering the players congratulations and handshakes, seeking autographs in return. A fan presented a bottle of imported beer to Islander Gary Howitt. Another gave a can of 7-Up to Howitt's children, Christy and Bob. 
The Islanders' trainers and relatives other than wives and children rode in a Nassau County Public Works Department flatbed truck. We waved to them, but they don't know who we are, said Brian Trottier's mother-in-law, who would only identify herself as Ellen. The team's stick boys, the hockey equivalent of baseball's bat boys, rode on the tailgate of a pickup truck, drinking champagne. Behind the stick boys was a glossy black 1951 Dodge pickup holding 12 beer-drinking youths with no apparent affiliation with the team. We are the Brotherhood of Titania. We all live on Half Avenue in Belmore, said John Bianco, who rode on the passenger side. We jumped the fence and got into the parade and nobody noticed. The fans cheered and waved as they passed. So as you can see uh, by that fine account, it really was a wild scene and, and, and a parade unlike, you know, certainly that had not been seen on Long Island before and uh, certainly nothing any of these players had participated uh, in before. So uh, like I said, what what we're going to play for you is just comments from uh, these five Islanders alumni, Denny Podfan, Brian Trottier, Clark Gillies, Bobby Nystrom, and Chico Resch, just on their experiences in that cup parade and and, and a little bit after the parade. And we're going to start with uh, Denny Podfan talking about, you know, his his memories of the parade and also Bobby Nystrom. I, I just remember it's like the greatest moment. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, it was in a, it was in a, Nassau County truck, you know, I have, I have pictures of my, my then fiance and my niece in the truck in the Stanley Cup right there. I mean, I got some great pictures. I just think it's, it was fantastic. We couldn't ask for anything better. You know what? I mean, people kind of scoffed at it, but we're 20 guys that came from the country, you know, and you know what? People were, we were in the back of a, of a truck and, and people were throwing me beers and <laughs> you know what? You just couldn't ask for anything more. I mean, hey, we were small town guys and, and you know what? Um, Long Island loved us and it was just a perfect way for us to celebrate with our fans. As Chico Resch points out in, in the following clip, uh, th- this was not like a parade in, in, in a big downtown area, you know, be it New York City or the parades they had for the Flyers in Philadelphia or for the Bruins in Boston. This was a, a uniquely Long Island-like parade. i got to be honest with you, there was like a lot of people, as you know, a yeah. lot of people. But it was, I mean, and that was a really good feeling, but it was a little bit, little bit, What's a word? Uh, unconventional. It was like, where's the parade going to go? It's not like you're going down the streets and, the, you know, the confetti's coming out of the windows or you ticker tape. Or, it was like more of a just a, a love fest, just like you went to Woodstock or something. You know, you were just going to this big celebration. There wasn't, I mean, obviously it was well planned, but it wasn't, it wasn't like most you know, championship parades like downtown Boston. It was, it was just a bunch of people and friends and people who are just so happy we finally got there. It was appropriate for who Long Islanders were, and we weren't embarrassed by it. It, it wasn't anything like that. You had to look at it and say, "Oh, okay." 
this is different. Not what you've envisioned, like Montreal, downtown, St. Louis, Toronto. I mean, you just go down Philly. That's what you did. But we didn't have a downtown, so... But the fact that it was not, you know, your typical or usual big city downtown parade did not matter one iota to Denny Potvin. And in fact, Denny uh, was kind of adamant when he spoke to me about the fact that he didn't want to be associated with that big city image. And that was in particular because of uh, the rivalry and the bad feelings with the Rangers. And, you know, obviously Denny Potvin uh, to this day is not, you know, they they chant Denny Potvin, well, you fill in the blank, uh, you know, at the Garden uh, to this day because of a hit on Olfie Nielsen. And, you know, as Denny said, it, it didn't matter to him the Islanders were not being feted with ticker tape going down a canyon of heroes. Maybe it mattered to Chico. It yeah. sure as heck didn't matter to me. <laughs> I mean, we could have been, uh, you know, we could have been going down Merrick Avenue. I couldn't give a shit. You know, yeah. it was it was the Stanley Cup. Come on. You know, by then, you know, this Manhattan thing was, you know, they had beaten us in 79. Remember that. You know, as much as we felt that we had, uh, you know, as an organization, accomplished a lot and moved forward after the 75 win, and we had. I mean, I think we're the only team that beat the Montreal Canadiens in a playoff series or a playoff game uh, during those four years that they won, you know, 76 to 79. Uh, So we were getting better and better, but I think that whole New York thing, in my mind anyway, for many reasons, uh, just, you know, stuck in at the bottom of my throat, you know. And so for us to win the Stanley Cup after losing to the Rangers in 79, I think that in itself was huge. Then, of course, you know what happened in 79. I mean, with Ulf Nielsen and all that. So, yeah. you know, there, there was, there was a lot of emotion there in my mind. And the least of it was thinking about, you know, where the f*** was that we were <laughs> celebrating the Cup. Uh, believe me, we celebrated at uh, several establishments after that. So yeah, uh, it didn't matter to me that it was Hempstead Turnpike or, as I said, the Merrick Avenue or whatever, uh, or Westbury or Old Country Road. It wouldn't have mattered. What Clark Gillies recalls is the emotions uh, prevalent and, and, and present at that cup parade, but also, and as mentioned in the Newsday article, he remembers sort of the dangerous setup and how, you know, eight fans were did wind up needing medical attention. He, that, that was, you know, obvious to the, to the Islander players as they got to that setup stage, and they were worried about it. Yeah, getting in those antique cars and driving through the crowd, motorcycle cops you got cops on horse and it got pretty wild uh we didn't realize how fired up the fans were going to be once we finally worked our way into the coliseum grounds there and then came out the security gate on the north side of the building and they had that little that little snow fence there and they had a stage set up for us and all of a sudden the people started pushing and pushing and pushing and they people were starting to get crushed into that snow fence and we said, you know, we got to get out of here. But that was that was pretty intense. That people were were really into it. And then obviously the next year they didn't make that same mistake. They put us in the trucks and we went down Hempstead Turnpike. Full disclosure: most of us were <laughs> kind of bombed when the 
Well, I was I was gonna last ask you how long did the celebration go? How many days? Uh, with good intensity, probably a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, you couldn't keep that pace up all summer long, or you didn't want to anyway. Yeah. But uh, it's a pretty fun time. There's no doubt about that. We didn't get much sleep for the first three or four days. I know that. Brian Trottier's memories of that first cup parade, uh, and again, the first of four cup parades for this, you know, dynastic crew. Uh, Trottier's memories were just, what do we do? Uh, there was such a newness to the players. They, they didn't know how to react. They didn't know what was expected of them. They didn't know what was forthcoming. And, and Trottier, too, you know, uh, recalled the crowded conditions, but it, just an overall sense of what should we do. My memory of everything was uh, no one knew how to celebrate. I, I, I didn't know how to picture a party. You know, I didn't know how to picture a celebration. I didn't know, so it was like a... Uh, a canvas that was going to be get painted, kind of an empty canvas, and okay, let's see how this thing happens. The uh, the parade, like the open convertible, and you know, fans just right on top of us. I mean, it was just it was it was a little intimidating. The fact that you know they had to uh, push the uh, the celebration, it was just, it was just overcrowded. They weren't ready for it, and uh, so they. I mean, they did things different in the second, third, fourth year, but that first celebration was just. No one had the the, uh, the perfect model what to do. Uh, so I, I, I think everything was so fresh, and we're all kind of looking at each other like, are we allowed to really kind of go nuts? So like, you know, all that all that fun. So I didn't drink in those days, so it didn't bother me. One of the conversations uh, I had for this series with was with uh, the fine former Newsday Islanders beat reporter Pat Calabria. Wound up also. Uh, working for the team, and you know, I, I think pretty much everyone knows Pat. Really set a bar as to how to cover <laughs> a hockey team, and uh, you know, I'm just trying to keep up with the standard that Pat set. As you know, as I'm honored and privileged to have the Islander beat for Newsday. Um, but in chatting with Pat, you know, <laughs> one of his favorite memories was seeing Bobby Nystrom walk into. A, a restaurant with this loud T-shirt uh, proclaiming his love for the Islanders, and uh, you know things were different. Uh, players and media uh, back then, you know, Pat, you know, basically the, w- with no social media in those days, you know, there was a chance for media to really, you know, almost become friends with some of the players w- w- when the players were receptive. The players were not as guarded about, you know, their every little secret being put out on Twitter. So it was more of a, uh, it could be more of a relaxed relationship between the media and, and the players. And, and uh, so just kind of paraphrasing from uh, from my conversation with Pat, he says, the memory that really sticks out for me was, uh, it was an afternoon game, uh, that, that being game six. He said the game was over by five, and he said by the time he was done filing his stories, it was probably 8 or 9 o'clock at night. There was a uh, a bar-slash-restaurant in East Meadow, Dr. Generosity, that was a, a favorite amongst the uh, Islanders crew. Pat said it was always a big post-game hangout for the Islanders, as well as for other teams. So, so Pat wound up in Dr. Generosity. 
He remembers not being able to get anywhere close to the place. He parked maybe five blocks away. And he goes in, he sits down with a bunch of players, and it gets to be around two in the morning. And in walks Bobby Nystrom, um, who had gone home after, you know, scoring the overtime winner. And he's changed, and he's wearing this T-shirt. And, and Pat said the place just... Dr. Generosity, all the people in there, they, they just erupted when Bobby Nystrom walks in wearing this t-shirt. And, and Bobby talks about <laughs> that moment. I was talking to uh, Pat Calabria, who, who covered the team for, uh, for Newsday in those days. And, and he was saying the party kind of continued at some local establishments. He, he re- oh, that's not true. No, that's not true. We went out for coffee and cake. <laughs> he, he said he remembers being in, in a place, I guess, called Dr. Gen- Generosity or something. Yeah, and we left there. Uh, the sun was coming up. He said, tell me about the T-shirt you were wearing. Oh, God. <laughs> you know what? I can't remember right now, but... Uh, oh, this is Islander country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so true. <laughs> yeah, it really was Islander country. One of Brian Trottier's favorite memories, and it was a very personal one. It's, it's a great story, and honestly, I had never heard it when... Uh, when Brian told me this, I don't know if he's told it to other people. I'm sure he has. But uh, Brian said all he wanted coming, you know, leaving the Coliseum as, as the Islanders win their first Stanley Cup is he just wanted a personal experience with the Stanley Cup. And, and now, of course, it's become, you know, it's become part of winning the Stanley Cup is that all players get their day with the Stanley Cup. All coaches get their day with the Stanley Cup. You know, Barry Trotz wins with the Capitol, takes it up to his to his home in Canada and is, you know, and and everyone in his small town is, you know, gets gets their day with the cup as it is. It becomes a very personal celebration. But nineteen eighty, this was before this was really part of how things were done with the Stanley Cup champions. So, uh, you know, Brian Trottier went to Bill Torrey and he just said, all I want is a day with the Cup. And, uh, you know, Brian tells it much better with than, than I do with, uh, with more emotion. So uh, this is Brian Trottier talking about his day and his night and his morning with the Stanley Cup. I was looking for my time with the Stanley Cup. That's what I remember. I said, I just want, like, I want a day with the Cup. I don't know why I wanted that. No one ever talked about a day with the Stanley Cup. But I did want some special time with it. That's what I remember. Like yeah. in my heart, I said, how do I How do I get my time with my family and my friends with the Stanley Cup? Like just alone. So we can have like an hour, half hour, just some personal. And now they've got a day with the Cup. Yeah. I think that is awesome. I went to Bill Torrey and I said, Bill, where's the Cup going back? Yeah, oh, just going back to my house tomorrow. We're going to have to the parade tomorrow and um it's going to sit in my i said can i take it back to my house and you know wake up with the stanley cup you know the first thing i see when i open my eyes he goes brian you gotta take it home he goes don't tell anybody don't say anything don't. so i just kind of discreetly grabbed the cup walked it out the door put it in the back seat of my car and it was just so comical everybody's kind of looking at me like we're like i was taking a little stroll with stanley cup so in the morning when open my eyes first thing i was going to see is the 
glistening, glowing, shiny Stanley Cup right at the foot of my bed, you know, right by the ba- the bedroom window. And it was just totally beyond what I thought it was going to be. It was just like so powerful. Just a, just a very, very personal moment with it. And, you know, people say, oh, you should sleep with Stanley Cup. Well, I didn't sleep with it. It wasn't laying that with me in the bed. You know, but I, I, I had it right at the foot of my bed. And it was the first thing I saw when I opened my eyes. And my little guy, my, my son was only two at the time. Um, so, you know, we took pictures and he, you know, he's jumping on, he's jumping over. And he, I think Stanley Cup might have been a little taller than him. And, uh, so it's all those fun little moments, personal moments with the Stanley Cup that made that little. And it was all the first. Again, it was a first. And I couldn't thank Bill enough. Like I said, Bill, I don't know if other, other, but I think every player should have that personal time with it. Um, and it was really kind of nice. The second, third, fourth one, when we'd pass it around, and the, the keeper of the cup would call me up. He goes, "Hey, did you have the Stanley Cup?" And, I'm, and we're not telling anybody. We're not. We're not telling them where it's at. <laughs> we lost for like four or five days, but we'd all take it for like three, four hours and pass it to the next guy, and then nobody would tell him the next person who has it. They're just really fun. You know, one year I handed it to John Tonelli, and the next year I handed it to Wayne Merrick, and it was just really kind of fun to be able to like, you know, just. I discreetly have our personal time with the Stanley Cup. And and just to wrap up these memories, and and I hope you've really enjoyed listening to them. Uh, as I mentioned, the the Islander players, the Islanders Stanley Cup champions, were really a fabric of the Long Island community they lived in. And one of Chico Rush's favorite memories was him and his wife. It, you know, now it's Memorial Day, and. Uh, you know, that weekend that the Islanders win and, you know, him and his wife kind of wake up and and walk to this Memorial Day parade and they're watching and <laughs> he had to laugh because he knew the Grand Marshal and uh, Chico tells it very well. It was Memorial Day when we won the night after we won it. And I'm living in Oyster Bay in East Norwich. And it's the Memorial Day Parade. And my wife and I, we only walked the block to be on the parade route. So it's coming from Oyster Bay. And then to get up into East Norwich, you come up this hill. So you could hear the band. And and I look, and coming over the ridge, <laughs> carrying the flag, the Grand Marshal, Butch Glory, <laughs> in the same suit, those same big, high, blue shoes he wore. And he's leading it. Walking up the hill, carrying that flag, and I just howled and yelled <laughs> at him. And, you know, like, I said, Butchie, this was a year later, I said, Butchie, how, how did that happen? So Butchie just said, you know, we had been, we'd been hanging there for the playoffs and all that. So, he, you know, we were at Bill Torrey's for a long time. We, you know, it was getting late. So he said, I just thought I'd go over there and see some of the boys, you know, and celebrate. Well, they were there, and then it was 7 in the morning, 8, and they just said, Hey, Butchie, why don't you be, be the Grand Marshal? You know, that we got the parade coming up. You know, some of the firemen were there. <laughs> anyway, so they talked Butchie into it, and him in that blue, he had that powder blue suit. Oh, my. How many guys today would do that? <laughs> you could grab and say, Hey, would you be the Grand Marshal in a few hours? And, and yes, Butch, Butch Goring was talked into being the Grand Marshal and, and, and knowing Butchie and having to gotten to know Butchie, you know, through covering the team, I could absolutely see 
him agreeing to that. He's just a friendly guy, affable, and, you know, just he's a man of the people, Butch he is. And, and, and to an extent, all the Islanders certainly were. So anyway, listen, I hope you enjoyed listening to those memories and uh, the Islanders Cup Parade. I, I certainly enjoyed talking to those alumni about those memories. And uh, that's it for Island Ice. Episode 31, find us wherever wherever you find your podcasts. We're on the, uh, you can find us through the Newsday website. Um, and you can also find all the stories that uh, I've written uh, about the Islanders and the, that Neil Best has written uh, as part of this 40th anniversary uh, look back at the Islanders' 1980 Stanley Cup win. They're all up on the Newsday website. And uh, if you get a chance to uh, click and subscribe to Island Ice, that would be great. Leave a comment. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. And we will be back with another episode, uh, hopefully very shortly. But until then, I hope all of you remain well and talk to you soon.